today what I'd like to talk to you about is the power of the Holy Spirit. In the series we've looked at the early church, especially those last few verses in Acts chapter 2. And we've tried to look at what makes them so contagious. What was it about their lives that made them so influential in their city and in their time? We know from having studied it <clears throat> this month, there were things like the power of their example, their influence wherever they went, the way they lived their lives. They were contagious Christians. When I go into the hospital, we were talking about this in the first service, Dr. Gilreath and I, I often, especially during the flu and cold season, I, I just stop in the car, you know, be sure I've got my Bible passage selected that I feel like I'll read and share with somebody. But I, I pray, not because of superstition. I just believe God answers prayer. Lord, protect me from all the germs and bugs and stuff that's in this hospital as I go in because I'm in several a week. Because there's a contagious quality to some of those things. When Bill was sick that we buried yesterday, Bill Balo, before I would go in to pray with Bill, I would mask up, I would glove up, put on a, a, a gown, because they were concerned that anything I might have brought in with me or his family might have brought in with him, that it would be contagious to him. And so we've wanted that quality at Woodland that God would make us contagious Christians. That the love and the passion for Jesus that we have and what he's done in our lives would become contagious to others. Oftentimes I tell people who after a while began to do life with me, I say, you know, I'm praying for you. And they've been used to hearing me say that. And I say, but I'm praying you get infected. And they look, what do you mean infected? That's a scary word. I says, well, I'm praying you get infected with a love and a passion for Jesus. If I'm talking to a man, a love and a passion for your wife and your family. And it'll just go through this. And I said, because I promise you, if you hang around long enough, you're going to start to love Jesus. You just won't be able to help yourself. And you go, well, that's awfully bold. No, it's just I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that God is always working in people's lives. We looked at the power of habit. This church had some incredible habits that they practiced day in and day out. And we talked about what habits were. And we want those holy habits in our life, but we don't want them to be habits that we have to think about. And I shared with you about a story of two of my very close friends, Dave and Vince. Both of them are fighter pilots. Dave, Vince went on into the astronaut training program. And I remember asking them, how do you, how can you respond so quickly? I mean, when you're flying at speeds that's exceeding Mach 1, and you've got another fighter jet, and these are expensive pieces of equipment, flying at you at the same speed and you're dodging, you obviously can't think about rolling, you can't think about climbing, diving, you know, you obviously can't think about shooting. How do you do it? And they both share with me all of the extensive training till it becomes just a habit. If you think about it, you're going to die. If you think about it, 
you're going to, the people on the ground who are depending upon you, they're going to possibly die. If you think about it, you're going to lose a very expensive aircraft, multiple millions of dollars. And so it has to become habit. And my prayer for us is, and, and, and hopefully this message in this series has been that we will have these inbuilt habits into our life. We don't even think about praying. We don't even think about worshiping. We don't think about reading our Bibles. It just becomes habit. We don't think about sharing. It just becomes habit. There's some things that we do in our lives that are thoughtful, but if we practice these things day in and day out, they become habit. And you know what? Enemies are defeated. Enemies that you don't have time to think about. Satan becomes frightened of you. The powers of hell become frightened of you because it's habitual in your life to call upon the name of the Lord. It's habitual in your life to go to your knees in prayer. It's habitual in your life to follow and to obey the, words, the Lord's word. It's, it's a habit in your life. It's, it's how you think. It's how you live. Gretchen Rubin, in her book, What I Learned About Making and Breaking Habits, she says that habits are the invisible architecture of our daily lives. And we repeat about 40% of our behavior. Think about that. 40% of our behavior, we repeat it daily so that habits shape our existence and our future. Don't miss that. Shape our existence and our future. And I've just, as I study this church in the book of Acts, over and over again, I see these habits of life, of generosity, of compassion, of love and service. I see the life of Jesus being manifested in this church. They didn't even think about it. They just did it. Now, it doesn't mean they were perfect because there were conflicts that they had from time to time. But the reason they overcame the conflicts that the enemy tried to divide them with was because of these holy habits that had been built into their life. We talked about presence. We talked about what happens when you are present. We talked about the realities of the invisible world that is with you. I told you that we don't pray to angels. We don't look to angels. You know, I don't know why in all the gift shop, angels are always pictured as like little Barbie dolls. You know, have you ever noticed that? They're just all cute little dolls, you know. But in the Bible, they're masculine. They've got a sword. There's two that are named, Michael and Gabriel. And the Bible tells us that we're surrounded. Yesterday at Bill's funeral, I was pleased to be able to share. We're surrounded by these angels. Jesus said that when Lazarus died, angels carried him. I mean, thank God for the ministry of angels. But we're taught not to worship them. They would not receive worship. We're taught not to pray to them. They're just there. And when we recognize we have the Holy Spirit living within us, the presence of angels, listen, greater is he that is in you than he that's in this world. There is more going on in your life. When Elijah prayed for his servant Gehazi, Lord, open up his eyes. He says, Master, the hills are alive. They're filled with burning chariots. Friends, I'm telling you, the power of God is manifest. We can't see it, but it's here. And God is working to glorify his name in our, through us 
and also to protect us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I just, these are real. Well, today I, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit's power to transform our lives. Our vision has always been to persuade people to become passionate followers of Christ. That means we have to be passionate followers of Christ because we duplicate what we are. We replicate what we are. That's why I say to people who hang out with me, I says, you hang out with me, you're going to get infected. And eventually I'll share with them about what Jesus does. You, you have to build those bridges of trust today because trust has been so damaged. What does that mean? We want what the early church had, the love, the peace, the joy, the power of a promise kept, not only made, but the promise kept. His compassion, his service, or Jesus' ministry, the way we serve one another. We want that manifested in our lives, and I could go on. How do we do that? We, well, we have to resist the spirit that's in our world. Back home on the farm, sometimes you would turn hogs loose, and they would root up the ground for you. They just root it up, get everything pulled up, eat what they wanted, and then it was easy to take a big rake behind a tractor and pull out roots and tangles and things and clear a field. You could take a barn and you could let the hogs loose in there after uh, a period of time where livestock had been in there and they would root things up, clean up. It would be easy to come in and shovel out that barn or take a front end loader and pull all that stuff out of there. And there comes times when we have to root out some old habits. We have to root out some old ways of thinking. We have to root out sin in our lives. And we have to, to examine ourselves daily. It's why Jesus taught us to pray daily. Father, forgive us of our sins. Father, for, have we sinned this week? There's not a person in this room that could say no. Yes, we've sinned. Have we disobeyed his word at some point this week? Yes, we've sinned. And as we go through and examine our lives, we confess our sins, we also stand on this, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to remove them from us as far as the east is from the west and to remember them against us no more. Do we believe that as well? You see, that's, that's what God does in our lives. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is making us aware when there's something inside of our lives needs to be rooted out. I want the Holy Spirit in every facet of my life, every dimension of my life. Stephen Covey, in the book I've recommended to you many times, First Things First, he talks about different roles in our life. And those roles in my life, just to share with you what my, my roles are, I identified five of them. First of all, I'm a partner. Well, excuse me, first of all, I'm a person. I lift myself up, confess my sins daily. I, I pray about, you know, what's going on in my heart and life. Secondly, I'm a partner. I'm Becky's husband. I pray scripture over my wife every single day. I'm so thankful for her. First service this morning, I couldn't hardly worship. I was looking at, did she look good this morning? I said, Jesus, thank you for giving that girl to me. Help me to preach quick today. <laughs> I just, and it was like, oh, Dennis, pay attention to what you're singing. And then this thought crossed.
my mind, I gave her to you. Love her. Enjoy the life I've given you. I was like, amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> I, I'm a parent and a grandparent. And so I could show you here in my Evernote, in my, on my iPad, where I've created notebooks for each of my kids and my grandchildren with their pictures and praying for them. I have a son, grandson, Josiah, that we were with him at the cancer center at Emory University this week because of the diseases that he has and getting that baseline established. I pray for Becky's parents, my parents, my, my mom. And then I'm a pastor. I'm your pastor. But I'm a pastor to this community as well. One of my mentors said to me, Charles Heath, who's now in heaven, Charles pastored the great evangel temple that was just one of the leading missions churches and took a real interest in me and young in life. And he said, never forget when God calls you to a church, he calls you to a city and to a town. You serve that town as well. And so I've endeavored to do that. So I pray for our community. I pray for you, your families. But then I'm a pilgrim. Those are my roles. I'm a person, a partner, husband, a parent, a pastor, and a pilgrim. So I pray for a missionary and their field every single day. And it doesn't take long. You don't, you know, you don't have to draw it out. But that's how I live my life. Those are the five roles I live my life with. And I want the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in every role because I'm not a good enough pastor. Matter of fact, it dawned on me as soon as I said it. The last person, hello? Last person in the world I should have said, the key is too low to, is to Pastor Mark. He's got so much musical genius and talent, you know? That's like me trying to tell a mechanic how to fix a car. But in my relationship with Mark, I want the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough. I don't have self-esteem problems. That that's what you're hearing. That's not it. I'm just telling you the truth. My ministry, my role as a husband, my role as a father, it's not enough. But it's good enough if I will give it to Jesus and he will be magnified through my weaknesses. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? And so you submit all of your life to the Holy Spirit. I think that Joshua is a great example of this in the Old Testament when he said, as for me and my house, my tribe, my clan, we're going to serve the Lord. He's talking about clean up your house, clean up your act, get ready for what God is going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to root out everything that is not pleasing to him and then give it to God because we're not going to conquer this promised land without the presence of the Holy Spirit without the power of God going before us. And God had said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And Jesus is saying to each and every one of you today that I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. 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 I'm so happy this morning. Would you stand with me and let's go to the word of the Lord. Well, all the believers devoted themselves. Now, this is that church I've been talking about. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. 
And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their properties and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now that's not socialism, that's not communism. They did this out of the generosity of their hearts and love for one another. Socialism and communism is when they come in and they confiscate part of your pay and take it from you to do things for other people. That's what people like Bernie Sanders and, and the lady, I can't say her name, Anacostia Oconza or something, you know, they have a very different view than the biblical view. They have a view of confiscating from you. This is called generosity. But now here's the thing. Sometimes when God's people are generous, then God will use governments to punish people and to bring about justice. And one of the reasons this church flourished was because the presence of the Holy Spirit touched them when it came to generosity. When you touch a man's pocketbook, when you touch a woman's pocketbook, you have touched their hearts. Amen? I mean, when that, just be, let's, let's be frank. That's what's happening here. Well, they worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes. Say that with me. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Bless us now, our Lord and Savior. We come to Thee. Our community needs You. Oh, Lord, our communities need You. Every hour and every day, whether they recognize it or not, they need You. Our schools need You, Lord. Oh, our children need You. Oh, God, how they need you. Lord, the marketplace, and the factory, and the company needs you, Lord. There's not one facet of our lives upon this planet that you are not Lord of all. And I pray this morning in Jesus' name as we look at your word, that you will show us why you didn't call us to take up swords and guns. That you will show us why and how the Holy Spirit ministered through the life of Jesus and then through the life of the church. God, to change a world. And I pray today for that same power of the Holy Spirit that heaven would come down as we sang this morning and touch this earth. And would you begin right here at Woodland Church in the lives of everyone here. And everybody said, amen and amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning.
Salvation is so much more than fire insurance. It's so much more than escaping the flames of hell or going to hell. Salvation is life. It's a way of life. It's an abundant life. Jesus described it as life abundant and even more abundant, an overflowing kind of life. So for many people, I think salvation in their minds is just somehow or another to escape hell when God has called us to so much more to be able to live our lives. As we sang that song this morning, heaven come down, heaven come down, I just, in my mind, I kept imagining what would it be like in our community? What would it be like in our city governments? What would it be like in our schools? And what would it be like in our factories and businesses? What would it be like in our church if once again the Holy Spirit came down and touched and filled us? There's some remarkable, remarkable stories in the book of Acts of how the Holy Spirit came down and touched and filled people. Sometimes it described that the very place they were meeting in would be shaken. Sometimes the persecuted church would begin to pray with a boldness like they had never prayed before. But the fruitful thing that I see about this church is how they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. The reason I ask you about the word house and I use the example of Joshua because house in the Bible means so much more than your physical dwelling, your physical address. But house in the Bible, that Greek word oikos, it has to do with me and my family or my tribe and I. It has to do with my extended family as well. It, it means also the place where I live at, but it also means my body. It includes the vocation that God has called me to. Whatever God has called you you to do, wherever you work at, whether you're an engineer, factory worker, scientist, whether you're a technician, whatever your job, it, oikos includes that. And that's the reason that Paul would say to the Philippian jailer, you and your oikos shall be saved. Something was going to be so contagious about what God did in that Philippian jailer's life that his entire family would be infected. And that night, they gave their hearts to Christ and they were baptized. And it wasn't long before a church was established in the midst of persecution. And the epistle that we know as Philippians began with that experience of Paul preaching and Philippians leading the Philippian jailer to the Lord and something happened and despite persecution it's the one New Testament letter that we call the letter of joy. It's why that Joshua would say, as for me and my house, if you want the power of the Holy Spirit, then Sometimes you have to do some cleaning. You have to do some house cleaning. My wife's a wonderful homemaker. My daughter is a wonderful homemaker. Ben and I are grateful for that because they help us in so many ways. But anytime company is coming to our house for dinner and we have a lot of guests, have, Becky goes through and there are little extra things that are done and fresh flowers are to put out, things that she does, soap that we're not allowed to use, towels that we are not allowed to use. You can use them, but if Ben and I use them, friends, our eternity hangs in the balance if we even touch that little bar of soap there. You're not allowed to touch the toilet. You're not allowed to go in that bathroom downstairs because that is for the guests. You take yourselves upstairs because she's prepared for our company and our guests that are coming. She doesn't do that because she's showing off. She does that because she loves to welcome people into our home. And when we want the presence of the Holy Spirit, then sometimes like Joshua, sometimes like the early church, we clean our house 
because we want the Holy Spirit at the center of our life. We want the Holy Spirit to be at the center of everything. We sing a song here at Woodland called Jesus at the Center of It All. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one. That he's not three separate gods, but he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't begin his ministry until first, <clears throat> Jesus didn't begin his ministry until first he was baptized and then the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tested for 40 days. The Holy Spirit would speak to him and guide him. We call it the kenosis theory, theologians do, because in that book I just referenced as the book of joy, Philippians chapter 2 describes to us how our Savior came as the second Adam, how our Savior came as fully man and dwelt among us so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, tempted in every way like we were, but unlike the first Adam and Eve, he did not sin against God, and when he emptied himself, he didn't depend upon his divine attributes. He didn't depend upon his power because Jesus could have never stayed in our place if he was resisting the devil by his power. He could never have died in our place if his purity was because of his divine power. He came, and that's why theologians and why we in the church are always so clear, whether you're Protestant or Catholic or independent, you know that a church is being clear on their Christology when they confess he was fully man, yet fully God, and he did not sin at all, and he therefore became our sacrifice for our sins, and as I illustrated for you last week, he redeemed us, and then he he. he, he he justified us. What he did for us, he came and he died for our sins. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? So the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. Now this is so important because look at John 14, 16. Jesus knows the time is approaching. He knows he's going back to his father soon. He knows he's going to die for our sins. And so he says, <clears throat> I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Now that word is important, advocate. Let's do a hard stop right there. Because if you're reading the King James Version, that word is helper. And if you think helper, you think of somebody like a bellman that's carrying your luggage. There's a man who does some work for me. I don't know his employee's name. I've never met his employee, but he's never called him by name. He's never told me anything about him, but he's his helper. That's the way he just identifies him. He's his helper. Well, that's not what this word should be translated as. If some versions have, he's your comforter. It's not a bad translation. I don't like that word because it's not a, a real accurate Greek translation. When I think comforter, I think of that nice down comforter that Becky has on our bed that in the wintertime I love, in the summertime I despise. But he's not our warm snuggly that we pull up next to our chins and go, oh, the Holy Ghost and I are just so warm and cuddly today. No, this word is Paraclete, it means advocate. It means someone that stands up for our defense, someone that stands alongside of us and testifies in our behalf. That word advocate is a legal word. It's like a lawyer representing you in court and standing up and declaring what is your right and saying to the judge or to the police or to the person who is accusing you of something, he's defending you. Paraclete, he's called alongside of you. 
He says, I will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. Read this last phrase with me. And later will be... I'm preaching better than you're talking. And later will be... Think about that. God lives in you and me today. He will be with you, not just as a snuggly, not just as a helper. He is your advocate. God dwells in our hearts by faith in Christ Jesus today. And that is such a powerful statement because even the Old Testament saints did not get to experience that, that God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think of him as being some mystical myth, and a lot of times people don't even like to talk about the Holy Spirit because it's hard for them to wrap their heads around it. But let me just real quickly tell you a little bit about this Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. First of all, he speaks. Acts 13 and verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes about the Holy Spirit expressly saying, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. In Revelation 2, we're told, as We've been studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. We're told that he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. I've asked the Holy Spirit to speak through me to you. That doesn't mean my tongue is controlled by the Holy Ghost or I'm out of control of what I'm saying but I've just asked him to bear witness to your heart of the truth of God's word that I share with you. The Bible also says he helps us in our weaknesses. He intercedes for us. In the book of Romans chapter eight, he helps us in our weaknesses. In John chapter 15 and verse 26, the Bible says, Jesus says, he proceeds from the Father and will testify of Jesus Christ. The third thing the Holy Spirit teaches us But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance. So God sends his Spirit to teach us. And fourth, the Spirit communes with us. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. He communes the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and listen, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In our January series, as I was talking to you, I share with you how that good communication leads to communion. Good communication leads to communion. Becky and I don't want to just have communication in our house. We want to have communion with one another. We don't want our kids just to give us information, but we want that joy of doing life and sometimes the comfortableness of being able to be in each other's presence and not have to say a word, but just enjoy being there where the silence doesn't feel awkward. When I went to Valdosta State University, I was a radio and and television major, and I will never forget, they said three seconds of silence in radio and television, that is a killer. That was three seconds if I counted one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, right. They said in three seconds, if there's dead time, people will reach, do you remember the old-fashioned cars? They'll reach down and they'll push a button and the stations will change or they'll change the channel and the station will change. You always had to keep something flowing. That's called information. Communion is when we begin to have this intimacy and this love 
It's where we can even be each other in silence and be comfortable, but it's not one person talking to Jesus saying, Jesus, bless my wife. God, bless my day. Bless my kids. Bless my work. Jesus, do something like my pastor said. It's letting then God speak to you through the scriptures or through those impressions he gives you in his heart that line up with the Bible. Fifth, the Bible tells us that God strives with men. And I have to keep moving. Genesis 6, 3 and Romans 15, 9. Did you know that God is working? And let me just come off the platform just a moment to, to illustrate this. God is working with your lost friends today. God is striving with men. God, there are people that you're praying for and that you love, Dean, and God is touching their heart. When you pray for them, God answers your prayers, Aaron, and God begins to touch their hearts and begin to deal with them. And there's this battle that comes on because suddenly they feel prompted to turn their hearts toward Christ. They feel prompted maybe to ask Aaron a question or Dean a question or ask Janice a question. That's the Holy Spirit striving with the hearts of men to defeat the enemy in their lives so that they can be born again. And there are those people that will yield to that, and there are those people that will fight God, and they'll get mad with you, and they want nothing to do with the Lord. And the Bible says that at times, God grows weary, not because he's tired, but because he sees somebody has set their will so stubbornly against God that God doesn't strive with their heart any longer. And you'll feel the burden lift off your heart. You'll feel the, the passion lift off your heart. And all of a sudden, you'll realize that this person has hardened their heart against God the way Romans chapter 1 describes that hardening process. Now, friends, that takes a long time, and it's very difficult for that to happen in somebody's life. But I share it with you to tell you this morning, the people that you love, the people that you work for, the people that you're praying for, your example, your habits, your presence in their life, and now this morning, the power of the Holy Spirit at work through you and your prayers and your love and friendship to them, God is striving with their hearts, and that's good news for every human being alive on this earth today. You want God to strive with your heart. You want that convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. The Apostle Paul talked about being led by the Spirit in Acts chapter 16. Jesus was led by the Spirit. And dearly beloved, you can be led by the Holy Spirit today. And I know of nothing no more exciting than to be led by the Holy Spirit. So here's the question I want to ask you before we begin to go through these points this morning. Where is God leading you today? What has God been dealing with your heart about? How has God been touching you? Because as sure as I'm standing here preaching this morning, I know that every single person here and every person that is listening by the internet or on Facebook, that they know God is dealing with their hearts. Where's God leading you? Maybe it's to an altar to give your heart to Christ. Maybe it's to your family to have a family altar. Maybe it's to have that conversation with your lost neighbor or to invite them over during the winter and, and just have a pot of chili and hot dogs together. Maybe it's to go to your wife and say, I'm sorry, or go to your husband and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Maybe it's to take your children out on a daddy-daughter date night or a father-son night where you go out and you go to this new place that Pastor Corey took the climbers yesterday where they were bumping around and bump cars and doing rope bridges and whatever fun things that I was watching him show me on the video last 
night. Maybe it's just to do something. The Holy Spirit, I promise you, is working in your life and leading and guiding and directing. You don't want to miss that because where the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit provides. And when the Holy Spirit provides, a miracle is about to happen. A miracle is about to happen. God is in the miracle working business. Well, let's look at this. First of all, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be transformed by His presence. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be transformed by His presence. When I gave my life to Jesus, people still knew who I was. I'm still who I am, but the Holy Spirit transformed me. The Holy Spirit changed me. And hopefully, day by day, he's trans- I hope I'm not the same man that I was when I came here in 1999. He's, he's transforming and changing us daily, making us more and more like Jesus Christ. He isn't that work of molding and shaping you. Be confident of that. Look at me for just a moment. Don't miss that. Be confident of that. God is transforming you. As you yield to him, each day he's making you more and more like Jesus Christ. And the more like Jesus you become, the more beautiful you are, the more loving you are, the more handsome you are, the more powerful you are, the more influential you are. You can't help but love Jesus. The multitudes loved Jesus. It was Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow me that people struggled with. And you may find yourself struggling, and that's why Paul says in this Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that word filled, as I've taught you before, it's that ongoing process. Every day I need to be filled. I pray every day. I prayed this morning. God, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. I prayed for you this morning. God, come down in this place. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And the reason being is I leak. I'm a leaker. I've got a well tickle in my garage that, uh, that we pulled water up to f- fill up water troughs, to bring water into the house, to bring water for the hot water tank on the wood stove. And that water bucket that we had before my Uncle Albert died, I said, Uncle Albert, I, I want that well tickle and I want the bucket. And uh, if you don't mind my having it. And he took me out to the corn crib and we got the, we got the well tickle. And he says, son, I don't know what happened to the, the bucket. We got rid of it years ago. You know, it leaked. And in my mind, I can see when you're pulling it up out of the well, water would be pouring out of it. And I used to think that was a negative. But you know what? If you're trying to fill up a water trough, that is a negative. I'll be honest there. That's a negative. But when it comes to you and I, we need to leak all over this community the glory of God, the love of Jesus, the passion of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. My prayer this week is you're going to leak the Holy Ghost all over our entire community. Can you say amen this morning? And don't worry about leaking, because if you leak, just come back the next day and say, fill me up one more time. When that bucket leaked, we dropped it back down in the well. We pulled it. We dumped it out. We dropped it again. You are never going to exhaust the Holy Spirit. There is more of God than what you and I have experienced today. Somebody say amen this morning. Trust him. He will fill your life. Secondly, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to love God's word. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to to love, to treasure the word of the Lord. Jesus said, John 14 and verse 21, those who accept my commandments, circle that word accept, those who accept my commandments and obey them, circle that word obey, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. If you're a passionate follower of Christ, you love the Bible. You love to read the Bible. You love to saturate yourself in the Bible. 
The Bible tells us that, or Jesus tells us in this same chapter, John 14, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach, circle that word, teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. You, look at me now, don't miss this. You can understand the Bible. I am sick and tired of people telling me I can't understand the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. You cannot, God wouldn't have given it to you if you can't understand it. You can understand the book of Revelation. That's why I promised you as we go, you can understand this book. It's a wonderful book. You can understand. Why? Because I, hopefully you're being taught well today. But secondly, the Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will help you understand it. And yes, there may be days you're reading and you're going, I'm getting nothing out of this. I am getting nothing out of this. There's nothing wrong with the word of the Lord. There might be something wrong with you, but there's nothing wrong with the word of the Lord. And so maybe you turn to a study Bible to help you, like the Life Application Bible. This is Bill Balow's Bible right here that I preached his funeral from yesterday. And his Bible's falling apart. There's Scott's tape holding it together. It's well marked. It's written in. Uh, there's Christopher's prayer card when Christopher was serving as a missionary. There's his impact list in here with the five people that he was praying for, five of his lost friends to come to know Jesus. There's a sweet letter in here that I found that he, he wrote to Texas. And there are some of my sermon notes. But you know what? I, this Bible's falling apart. It reminded me of that saying, if your Bible is falling apart, you're probably not. And Bill was a man who's life was well put together and he loved Jesus. He was influential for Jesus, but he loved the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will help you understand. And you might be reading, oh, and the reason I brought this out is this is the life application Bible that I've recommended so many times because you may look at something, especially in Leviticus. How many of you have read Leviticus before? Especially in Leviticus. I love Leviticus now. I used to hate Leviticus. I used to hate asparagus until I learned to love asparagus. But the reason I hated asparagus because it was boiled limp and had this deathly green color to it. And then I was served asparagus where it's nice and crisp. And I go, this is good. And I used to hate Leviticus because of that mildew stuff and the mole stuff. And I go, what does this have to do with me and the price of coffee, you know? But then when you read Leviticus and you use these scholars who help you understand and they show you the holiness of God. They show you what God is trying to do in your heart. They show you how God is protecting his people at that time from, from infectious diseases and things. You go, oh God, you are so good. You are so wonderful. Thank you for Leviticus. I used to hate asparagus, but now I love asparagus. I used to dislike coming to Leviticus and I would speed read it and now I read it carefully because it's good stuff. Somebody say amen. You can understand the Bible. But even if you are reading it and somehow or another you go, I just didn't get anything out of it today. Here's what I'm going to promise you. Somewhere during the day, somebody's going to come and talk to you and suddenly you're going to remember what you read in the Word that morning. And just go, oh, that's why I read that. Or suddenly you're going to be confronted with an issue and you go, oh, that's why I read that. You see, he will remind you. Are you tracking with me this morning? He's alive. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't believe that, you're calling Jesus a liar. And if you're calling Jesus a liar, please go sit by yourself before the lightning comes down. <laughs> None of the rest of us want to be killed. I mean, Jesus, he 
He's telling us this to help us grow and so we can minister. You haven't received the spirit of slaves that leads you into fear again. This is Romans 8, 15. Instead, you've received the spirit of God's adopted children by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let me tell you why that is so important. You see, the Holy Spirit reminds you, if you read, everybody reads this verse, but they don't get the context. The context is when we're struggling with sins, when we feel like we're not worthy, when we feel like, God, my sins are so separate. And remember I said earlier, we all sin. We confess our sins. He forgives us. But the enemy will come and he'll say, you're not a Christian. The enemy will come and say, you're a hypocrite. The enemy will come and try, you'll have these thoughts that you have just, God is tired of forgiving you. You have confessed this and confessed this and confessed this and God is tired of you forgiving you. Friends, God is not tired of you forgiving you. The Bible says, Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. That's another way of saying to infinity and beyond. And when the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the advocate, he's standing up in your behalf in the presence of the Father, and he is coming like a lawyer, and he's saying, Lord, these accusations against Dennis, these accusations against Rick, these accusations against Debbie, these accusations are lies of the devil. He was redeemed. She was redeemed by the blood of your son. When the second Adam gave his life at Calvary and his blood cleansed them from their sins and you adopted them and you filled them with the Holy Spirit and I'm here to bear witness with their spirit. This is your child. The devil is a liar. He is advocating for you. Friends, you need the Holy Spirit to live a successful Christian life. And that's what he does. And that's why I think the devil has worked so hard to keep people from understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. He's more than an electric shock. He's more than a, a, a vibe or a feeling. He is the living God living inside your heart. To let, be filled with the Spirit is to have a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Isn't there something wonderful about grateful people? Don't you just love to do things for people that are grateful? I... You know, people who say thank you or people sometimes that want to come and just do something for you because they appreciate you. You love those people. You're grateful for them. And there's this part of this good communication leads to communion. When we have communion, it's also called the meal of thanksgiving. That's what Eucharist means. We're giving God thanks. But we give God thanks. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for our community. I'm grateful for Ford. Now, you may work for GM and say, well, I'm not grateful for Ford. I'm grateful for GM. No, we're grateful for all three of them. You may not be grateful for Toyota, but we're grateful for all three of the big three, right? Because of the competition. We're grateful. Look at what the Bible says. And give thanks for everything. Mm. Give thanks for everything. That's impossible. I like that song. <laughs> I really do. It's all right. I do. I like the song. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The key is what's at the end of the verse. Somebody give that lady a microphone. <laughs> the key, you can't be grateful for everything unless it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's the key to understanding this verse. If you are in Christ, you know that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. If you are in Christ, you know that nothing comes your way that God does not allow. And if God has allowed it to come your way, it's meant for good and not for evil. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter if it's cancer. It doesn't matter if it's our little grandson, Josiah. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Texas losing her husband yesterday. It just doesn't matter. We know that in everything, God works for the good of those. That's also in Romans chapter 8. And the Holy Spirit, the advocate, bears witness to us and testifies to us and to the Father in heaven that we are his children and we are more than a match for anything that hell can bring our way. Somebody give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. That's what that's all about. To be filled with the Spirit is also to encourage one another. Paul goes on in this passage and he says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in all your hearts. Look at this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves. That's what we did this morning as we worshiped the Lord. We were fulfilling this verse of scripture. But notice this, among us, there's something encouraging about worshiping the Lord together. There's something encouraging about joining together. I turned around and was watching some of you as you worship this, I'm your pastor, I'm supposed to do that. I was watching some of you and some of you had your hands lifted, some of you, your faces were turned up to heaven. Some of you, I know that you're the battle you're going through, but there was a smile on your face as you worship the Lord. There's power in the name of Jesus, but there's power when the people of God gather in his presence and we encourage one another, but notice the rest of that, and make music to the Lord in your hearts. It's not your as in you, it's second person plural. It's us, let's make music together in our hearts to the Lord. We somehow or another, as we do this, we encourage each other. There's a wonderful little course. Home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play, where never is heard a and the clouds are, and the skies are not. Obviously, that wasn't written in Michigan. <laughs> Don't you just love discouraging people? Oh, I hate that. I don't want that. I had a friend, I love him, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> love him. Oh, but he rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Got in my car. Oh, I hate that music. Didn't ask. Switched the channel on my station. I'm trying to be nice. Because I hated what he put it on. We got to a restaurant. I like this restaurant. Barbecue. If you don't like barbecue, you ain't going to heaven. We got in the restaurant, he says, I hate barbecue. Later on that day, he says, you know, that is an ugly shirt. I'm not, this is no, that is an ugly shirt you're wearing. I go, my wife bought that shirt. He said, it's still ugly. I called Becky, I said, I'm going to kill this guy. I am going to kill this guy. 
I had to put up with him for one week. Oh, you don't know the half. I pulled over to the side of the road one night. I said, get out of the car. He says, what? I said, get out of the car. He says, why? Because I'm going to kill you if you don't get out of this car. And I don't want to die and go to hell. He goes, what have I done? I leaked. But not with the Holy Spirit. The next week, his boss called me. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's the most negative person on our team. He finds fault with everything. But you're the only person that's ever told him and explained to him what he was doing. And he came back and he asked the staff, he asked the office staff, this is what Dennis Clanton told me. Am I as bad as that? And he says, in unison, we went, yes! And he has worked hard to change his life. He's coming to preach for us. I won't tell you who he is because I don't want you to know. But he has worked hard to change his life and to turn around and look for the positive and look for the good. He has been a blessing in one of my son's lives. I'm telling you, you can change. The Holy Spirit can transform your life. Don't settle for being a sourpuss. You be an example of the power of God and live with the love of Jesus Christ in your hearts. You can change. The Holy Ghost will change you. Turn to the person next to you. Now, if you're new or visiting with us, please forgive us. We're going to be just a little weird right now. You're thinking, right now? <laughs> Look at the person next to you this morning and say, I am grateful for you. <laughs> now, that was easy to do, husbands and wives. Turn around and just say to the person behind you, I am grateful for you. And now to the person in front of you. Thank you, Janice. See what that does for you? It lifts our spirit. Jesus, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. He gave thanks for it. Jesus was constantly giving thanks. He gave thanks to the Father for the disciples and they could be fathead sometime. He gives thanks for you and I and we can be fathead sometime. I love to eat with Pastor Mark. If you've never eaten with Pastor Mark, you have missed an experience in life. I was telling the first service this morning and I told him, I said, I can't do this justice, I don't have the time. You need to invite Mark and Kyra to your house. Don't we love our music pastor? I mean, you need to, you need to invite them. Mark's the only man I know that makes love to his food before he eats it. Rubs it on his lips, he smells it. Oh, this is in there. I mean, Mark, stop kissing the lettuce. You know, it's lettuce. Sometimes when he's eating, I'm not exaggerating anymore, Mark. I just look at Mark and say, Mark, we're here. We're here. He just loves food, and he's thankful. He's great. You can bring Mark a cup of coffee, and he lights up like a light bulb. You can bring him a piece of chocolate. He's grateful, but he's always looking for ways to encourage people. And you know, I've noticed another unique quality about Mark's life. Mark is always inviting people to church, and he's always loving people, and there's something unique about people with grateful and encouraging hearts. Let me show you what the Holy Spirit did. Now, this was on the day of Pentecost. I've never seen this happen. Well, I've seen it close to happening one time, but I've never seen this particular thing happening. This was on the day where the, the Holy Spirit came down. There were tongues of fire. There was a sound like a rushing mighty wind, and all the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in languages they didn't learn. And we'll pick up with verse 11 in Acts 2. 
We hear all these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? Now just do a stop. You see, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but talk about the wonderful things that God has done. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're not looking to criticize or condemn. You're not looking to whine because God hasn't been as good to you as he's been to somebody else. You're not looking to complain and say, God, why haven't you done this for me like you've done this? When you're filled up, you're just amazed that you're saved. Come on, let's be honest. You're amazed that God has saved you. Salvation is more than fire insurance, but every one of us know we deserve hell for our sins. We're just amazed that we're saved. And we can't help, but people that are full of the Holy Spirit can't help but talk about the good things that God has done in every day of our lives. And so people were going, what can this mean? They, they were amazed. They were perplexed. Something had happened because they were used to the rituals of religion. They were used to going to the temple. They were used to the sacrifices. But they weren't used to leaving church feeling good. They weren't used to leaving church filled with power. They weren't used to leaving church being changed. But these people, one encounter with the Holy Spirit, they come out of that place speaking in languages they had never learned so that everybody gathered in Jerusalem from around the world could hear the wonderful things that God has done. When you leave Woodland Church today, my prayer is that you can't help but talk about the goodness of God, the love of God, the patience of God, the forgiveness of God, the miracles of God, the healings of God, what God wants to do and blessing other people's lives. That's a mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. If he's been good to you, praise him this morning. Praise him this morning if he's been good. Praise him this morning. And then finally, honey, if you'll come on up, to be filled with the Spirit is to live confidently into your future. We're not afraid of what the future holds. We're not afraid when we read the book of Revelation. We're awed, we're amazed, but we're living confidently in the future because we know who lives within us. We know who advocates for us. We know who teaches and reminds us. We know who provides for us. We know that in all these things, we've been made more than conquerors. And we know, we know that unless Jesus returns first, we're all gonna die. And we know that some just recently laying my hands and commissioning some new young missionaries going to parts of the world where they may die. That's just how dangerous it is. Sending them into brutal training where they're beaten, where they're stripped, where they're tortured and tormented to see psychologically if they can take it. To see if they'll break. To sit and talk with those young missionaries after they've come through that. To sit and talk with a school teacher and her businessman husband that are giving up their vocations. And tears rolling down their faces as they tell us, are you bitter? Do you think it was too much? No. Because we know this can happen. Are you sure you want to go? 
is a prophecy about the coming of the kingdom of God in heaven. As I read it, I realized on the second page as well, Bill's hope of heaven. He told me in the hospital week before last, he said, Pastor, I want to go to heaven. I'm ready to go now. that man so much. I look and say, Bill, it's not time. It's not time. He looked up and says, I'm ready. I want to go. Tears were coming out of his eyes. And I took his hand and I pulled it down and I began to pray for him. Next day I told the board, pray for Bill. It's not time. I believe that. Then Monday, well, Josiah was at Cancer Center. Texas called me. And I just had to go find a corner and just sit down and weep and pray. God's time is always perfect. And I was holding on because I love Bill. Texas loved Bill. But suddenly, as I'm sitting there weeping and praying, I could see him hand lifted up in intensive care and says, Pastor, I want to go home. I want to go to heaven. His very last words to me when I went back to see him before we went to Georgia, his very last words to me, he looked at me with a big old smile, hugged me when I walked in. Every time he came through those doors, he kissed me on the side of the face for almost 20 years, every time. I was getting ready to leave the room after we prayed he looked at me and he says be sure and tell Becky I love her wow heaven is real that's what I mean about living confidently into the future heaven is real and I don't know why we have such a hard time 
believing that heaven is real. Heaven is real. I flipped back in Bill's Bible to Isaiah 53 to see if he'd highlighted that. And here it is, highlighted again. If we believe these prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled so completely, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces. He carried our sorrows. We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. If we believe, and this is what confounds people so much, is that every one of those prophecies were fulfilled, and the laws and the probability of that happening is nil. If we believe that was fulfilled, why can't we get a hold of this? Heaven is real, and one day you and I are going to stand in the presence of God with all of our friends and families that have gone on before us. Heaven is real, church. Don't fear what this world can do. Don't fear what a terrorist can do. Don't fear the powers of evil. You have a home in heaven this morning. I never ordered appetizers until I started traveling internationally. I was just extra expense on the bill. And I'll never forget one night being out with a group of people and they were treating me to dinner and they said, order an appetizer in Brussels. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want one. And then I made the mistake. I said, what is the purpose of appetizers? And this white-gloved maitre d' looked at me and he says, the purpose? He said, the purpose of an appetizer is to whet your appetite. It gets your taste bud, makes them come alive. It makes the saliva glands begin to flow. He says, it's so that you will enjoy your meal more when it comes because an appetizer is just a taste of what's coming. And then he looks at me confidently and says, sir, so what would you like for an appetizer? I said, nothing. That's not going to be. He marched to the kitchen. He came out with a bucket of mussels. I mean, it didn't have fins, you know? It lives in a wad of mucus inside of a shell. And that white glove maitre d' pulled that muscle out. Oh, I didn't want that. I was on the spot. And I went back in my mind to Colombia. Do you know I used to didn't drink coffee? I hated coffee. I was preaching in Colombia. Yeah, I hated coffee. I was preaching in Columbia and they offered me coffee and I said, no, I don't like coffee. The missionary leaned on, he says, you like coffee? I goes, no, I hate coffee. It's terrible. I even made a joke. I'm saved. I don't drink coffee. He goes, don't do that. I go, why? He says, they're very proud of their coffee in Columbia. He says, drink the coffee. I go, I'll throw up. He goes, drink the coffee. So I drank the coffee. The first sip I went, is good. I wasn't lying. This is good. For the first time in my life, I tasted real coffee, not Folgers, not Maxwell House. I tasted coffee. It was like a Coke addict. Boom, I was hooked. I came home with bags of it. Becky says, you don't like coffee? I says, I've had real coffee. He slid that slimy thing in my mouth. <gasps> Have you ever had a 
finless muscle with mucus all over it and lemon sauce. Oh, Jesus. Suddenly, saliva glands were pumping. It was so good. The meal was good. I ate a bucket of mussels in Brussels. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I used to think heaven was the most boring place in the world. I asked one of my theology professors, heaven doesn't excite me. I don't really get it. I don't want a crown on my head. I don't want to play a harp. Streets of gold, that, I mean, I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've skied a mountain. I've been to the top of the Alps. I've been to the top of the Andes. I've raced motorcycles. I used to flat track motorcycles. That's where you race without brakes on them. I loved it. I rode a Hodaka. I used to ride Norton 750s. I, I did hill jumping. I said, that's fun. I, 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 I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to know what marriage is all about. And my poor professor didn't know how to answer my questions, but here's what I discovered. This is real, but all of this is just an appetizer for what's going to come. There will be mountains in heaven. There will be food in heaven. There will be adventure in heaven. Heaven is not a place where we're going to sit around and do nothing all day. This is just an appetizer. We're going to look back and go, we never dreamed it was this good. Heaven is real. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Confidently into your future. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground, and when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They will be buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Because just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. I want to go to heaven. Didn't used to, but now I want to go to heaven. Would you stand with me? I want you to come. We're going to close this series at the altar. Becky, would you just sing that heaven come down? And just come and let's just stand. And we're going to have a closing prayer and blessing right here at the altar.
wives, grandparents. Make a declaration before the Lord as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you may have children that aren't serving the Lord right now, but you just, you begin to intercede for them. said the Spirit of God strives with people. God will come and deal with your children as you pray for them. Matter of fact, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, March the 6th, we begin our 40-day fast. And like Bill has his five lost people in his Bible on his impact list. Why don't you make an impact list of five people you're going to be fasting and praying for? Maybe it's family members, but dedicate your tribe to the Lord. For me, that's my family and Becky's family, our extended family. That's our church. This is my family. This is our family's family. And then right now, if allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, there may be some things you need to clean out. God may convict you about some habits, some thoughts, a sin that you've grown comfortable living with, that God says, cleanse your house. I want to fill your house. And friends, you don't want any idol to stand between you and the Lord. <laughs> you don't want anything to stand between you and Christ.
and remove them as far as the east is from the west and to hold them against us no more. And the Holy Spirit, the advocate, testifies in our behalf before the Lord and to the powers of hell that we are the children of God. Fear us, you spirits of darkness, for you know where we stand today. We stand in the presence of the Holy God of Israel who has redeemed us and saved us and adopted us and filled us with his Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name. Let's give him a hand of praise for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Spirit, I ask you that every need that's brought to this altar this morning, whatever it is, if it's sickness, if it's depression, if it's oppression, if it's a financial need, God, if it's a need to give their hearts to you, I pray that right now each and every one will know I can touch Jesus. If that little woman can touch Jesus, I can touch Jesus today. Reach out and tell him what you need. Ask in faith. Those that come to God, ask in faith and nothing wait. Now God, make our examples. Make our habits. Make our presence by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Hallelujah. Hadn't it been good to be in church today? Wow.